Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 106. My name is Charles. And my name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. So, Crossman, tell us about the podcast. Sure. So this is a podcast where uh, we share movies with each other, usually movies from film history or more contemporary but good films. And this week we watched The Lives of Others from 2006, although I think it was released in 2007 in the U.S. Correct. So I call this one of the, another of the great 2007 movies, knowing that it was technically released in 2006 in Germany, but it screened in the United States in 2007 for the first time, so I include it in the category of great 2007 movies, All right. and that's that. Well, tell us more about it. Les Brothers is a German film that takes place in 1984 East Berlin. It follows mainly two characters. One of them is a Stasi officer um, with a complicated German name. I believe that it is pronounced Hauptmann Weisler played by Ulrich Muhl. He is assigned to track a playwright played by Sebastian Koch by the name of Georg Dreimann, who lives with his girlfriend, Krista Marie Seeland, played by Martina Gedick. <laughs> I hope everyone got all of those names because I'm not <laughs> gonna say them again. <laughs> that, was, that was the one time. The Stasi officer is a true believer. Over the course of the movie, he comes to sympathize and eventually aid the playwright in publishing or drafting and publishing a subversive article that would eventually appear in Western, the, uh, Der Spiegel, in the, the Western magazines. And it is really the, the journey of this character from a, a true believer in the, the Stasi cause to really someone work, uh, affirmatively working against the state and the drama therein. Uh, it won Best Foreign Film in the 2007 Oscars and has had a pretty big impact since then. I first saw this in a German film class no, it's not. I saw it the second time in a German film class. I first saw it on my own when I rented it in 2008 or whatever. And I've liked it a lot ever since. This is my fourth and fifth viewing of this movie, and I think it is really great. It holds up every time for me, and I, I really do enjoy it a lot. Um, especially uh, Sebastian Koch. Like, he's made move towards more American films. He appeared in Bridge of Spies recently. He, was in a, he had a season-long run in mm. Homeland, I believe, recently. He's started to break out, and it kind of started with this movie. Neither of you have seen it before, though, correct? Nope. Yeah, this is my first viewing. Okay. Well, Charles, what do you think of it? How did Lies of Others land? I really enjoyed this one. I, I wasn't sure how it felt beginning because I have trouble with foreign films sometimes. Sure. But, yeah, I mean, I was very drawn in by the plot, by the character's transformation. Uh, I really liked the Georg Dreiman character. I thought he was very well uh, performed. Like, he had a kind of charisma about him all the time. Uh, you could kind of tell that he was like what you consider like a good person I guess he gave that kind of air to it right and I just like it, the, the movie did a great job of building tension uh, during the various parts where you know the people were being watched and uh, they were about to be given up or like discovered and you know it really had me on the edge of my seat uh, and I was also surprised by how funny the movie was sure because yeah. it had a lot of random jokes or funny editing I can't remember specific examples, but I remember chuckling right, at numerous points throughout the movie, uh, which was a bit of a surprise. And they managed to make it fit with the movie, which is normally very stressful and tense. Mm -hmm. um, they fit that all together somehow. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, glad to hear. I'll be across one. Was this a hit? Yes or no? Yeah, I liked it. Okay. It was, it was good. I think the depictions of like how bureaucracy works and kind of like consumes those within it are very powerful and like the the notion of like how corrupt system sort of self-perpetuates itself i think is 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 interesting and then it's like effect on the the personal lives of of the people that are affected by it mm -hmm. is, is interesting i like the notion that 
to to spy on a single person, we it requires that we have this like massive team right, like of how many people like, who are participating yeah, like in this operation. The twenty four hour watch and yeah. then to like multiply that out through <laughs> like all the potential subversives. Like, right. Like how much manpower is being put behind this very stupid project. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and to what end is is, mm -hmm. is interesting. And then how it the system kind of eats itself because like the it's most like loyal officers sort of like chewed chewed up by the system. And, right. Yeah. I mean, well, what, what's interesting is both Georg and was like HWS. Or yeah. What is the, the agent HGW, <laughs> the agent. They're both like Weisler. Weisler. Yes. Yeah. So Georg and Weisler, they're they're both like believers in the system. Georg has like subversive friends, but he's still like is successful within the system and doesn't actually seem to like want to undermine it. And and the agent is obviously like a you know true believer yeah. in the same way. And then because of like corrupt bureaucracy, they're, they're both like turned away from it. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Like the Draymond character feels like a like a modern mainstream Democrat, right? Like just like <laughs> the guy that like still believes in 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 what's going on right now, believes that there are things that can change about it, but doesn't want to fundamentally destroy it or anything like that, but wants to operate within it and is being rewarded by it. And like you grad, he, and like seeing him, like turn away from that, and how that mirrors Weisler's own turn away from it for kind of different reasons, um, it was compelling for me. And I think you're right, Charles, about Sebastian Koch. Like, there's a reason he's the guy that's breaking out mm -hmm. in this movie. One of them is that the guy that played the lead has sadly died since then. Um, but the other one is that he is a great actor and is great in this movie. Um, and I think you do see that just leading man style charisma that he has. He, he stood out so much yeah. for me. I mean, him and the other lead as well. They both mm -hmm. stood out quite a bit. Right, but like, like Coke like stands out in the way that like a Brad Pitt stands out. Right? Yeah, like he stands out in this way that's like this is a guy that should be at the front of the movie. He's the guy that should be like leading like a, like major films, which is what he did um, here and has done since then and before here. Um, so yeah, I, I like his performance a lot here now. Um, what, do you, what do you think about Coke in this movie? Yeah, I, I thought I thought he was good <laughs> when his friend kills himself. He's like that was like very affecting. That's the turning point. Uh, yeah, turn mm -hmm. within the film where it was like, oh, this went from being kind of like a thriller to like more personal. Yeah, much more personal. Yeah. He also unfortunately doesn't seem to have like great insight into the abuse that his girlfriend is receiving until it's way too late yeah he doesn't seem to get it and part of that from his perspective he thinks that she's like cheating on right him, is like how i read what's happening i, I agree and like yeah. Weisler sets him up for that right because that's like yeah. relatively early in the surveillance process that he sets up the fake doorbell so that he yeah. will see her getting out of somebody's car and i think that 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 is a turning point and then also when his director friend kills himself is like the other major turning point. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. The, the movie doesn't dwell on it a ton, but it, it's interesting about how they sort of speak to the notion that like bureaucratic systems, part of it is like control of the body in space, and and no more like that is, that is seen or reflected most strongly on his girlfriend because right. she's like being sexually taken advantage of and yes. assaulted by this bureaucrat like the head bureaucrat of this area or and whatever. he threatens her career yeah right well her career so and it's like, like 
hooks around these drugs or I, I wasn't clear if he was just an addict or if he needed them for some sort of medicinal purposes. Yeah. But like bodily autonomy is like yeah. very much affected in bureaucratic systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're like, and, corrupt and, like bureaucratic systems. And, and yeah. on Thrayman, they kind of have a different effect, right? Like he's, he's experiencing a psychological trauma because his friend is killed. His girlfriend is being forced into this situation that is causing him psychic anguish, right? Like he is tricked into thinking that he's cheating. Like, that uh, and they have that conversation where like the uh, Weissler's boss has that report from somebody or other and he talks about how there's only five different types of artists and Simon <laughs> is a type four and that means that you deprive him of you know company and attention and that will break him and things like that and like they mm -hmm. examine like not just removing people from their material pleasure but also like breaking them psychologically yeah what an absurd statement right too, it's such to a like, stupid thing to say yeah <laughs> to believe that you could classify that is is so like typical of like bureaucratic systems yeah well, and you, so. you see that in the very like really that that opening sequence in this movie might be the most cinematically striking thing that the film does where he has yeah. that interrogation where it's cutting back between the interrogation itself and the lecture that he's giving on it in class like that is really effective to me, but there are so many absurd statements in that as well, where he talks about how like somebody who is lying will rage and get furious and like increase their energy, where somebody or somebody who's telling the truth will rage and get furious, where somebody who is lying will become quiet and more reserved and like repeat. It totally depends on your personality, which is absurd, right? Like yeah. <laughs> there's no way to tell, especially if you leave somebody in a room for hours and hours on end, like how they're gonna react to that. And you can, it's just such obvious post hoc reasoning. Yeah. Right? Like that this is what they need to be true in order to justify what they did. Yeah, and it's meant obviously to entrap everybody. Right, which yeah. is the, the effect. But you, yeah. you still get the, and I think this speaks to the great performance from, I think his name is Ulrich New, who is the actor that played Weiser. Like you get the sense that he really not just believes that these things are true, but believes that the system is good, right? He, he really thinks that this is something that he should be doing. And it seems like that belief in goodness is what's driving him more than a sense of loyalty even, or more than a sense of nationalism. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is kind of the distinction that this movie is drawing. Yeah, I think it, right, well, like it, the, the way that it approaches it, it's like you, like you need to make sure that like the system that you're working within is moral. And if it's not like if you just accept the system, then yeah, you're then you're, you're at the yeah you're complicit in <laughs> whatever choices the system makes, and at a bureaucratic level. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're just like acting within that system, then to to per continue to perpetuate the system, then you you assume the morality of the system. Right. Like yeah. what what this viewing got me thinking about was like the nature of deviance, and like what it actually means to deviate because in a sense like the Weissler character is a deviant because he doesn't do what he's told like he doesn't do the job that's assigned to him he mm -hmm. intentionally uh, obfuscates the research or the investigation and eventually just outright destroys evidence to protect the target right mm -hmm. on another hand like if his guiding compass is actual goodness right like doing the right thing and being a good man which is what the title of that book at the end of the movie is not for, for a good man he's not deviating at all he's just doing what he's always been doing it's just he realizes finally eventually that what that is what it means to keep being a good person 
is to defy the system that he's been operating under. And in that yeah. sense, it's not, he's not deviating from his own behavior at all. If anything, he is staying true to his own behavior. And that behavior says, you should corrupt the system you're working in. His you perspective has it. just been shifted. Right. Like he, has a different, he has a different idea of what the good is now, yeah. but the, in his own goodness and his own value of what is good hasn't, hasn't changed. Right. Yeah, although it's strange that he wouldn't like have a second thought about detaining someone and keeping them awake for 48 hours. Right, right, because he, he, he truly believes that this guy is a, a subversive working against the state and the state is good and the state is providing real existing socialism to Germany and that what is necessary to defend that is justified. And mm -hmm. it takes him a minute to figure out that that's incorrect. But when it does, I think it's internally coherent for the character. And I think it kind of gives us a different idea of what it means, what, what, what the deviant choice really is, mm -hmm. right? Because I think he gets to a point where it's not really a choice, where it's like, this is just what I have to do. And I, I, I noted that on this viewing, I haven't seen this movie four or five times, um, and that stood out for me here. It's interesting how the film interacts with socialism Mm -hmm. In that, it, it does seem to show some upsides. In that, like Gay Argy is like a playwright, and he yeah. just like writes plays, and that's his vocation. Right, and sometimes and he like, doesn't. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of it's, it's around for a while. So he is able to be like, living fairly well. Dude. Yeah, right. have like the fancy like dress clothes for the party and all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, there's this, like this ultra corrupt, you know, police state that's like sitting on. On, on everybody and I, I think it's interesting how it kind of reflects on like the the later days of the Soviet Union where it had just gone so far afield from its original mission mm -hmm. of you know liberation from capitalism and was really just perpetuating the needs of like a small corrupt elite represented by a I, I forget what the character's name is. But like Weiser's boss. Yeah, but he's like... Or his boss's his boss, boss, I suppose. Boss, yeah. he, he, and he's sort of like comically corrupt and he looks like, you know, how capitalist is illustrated in like 1920s like sure Arab political thing. Because uh, he's, you know, he's the one percent in this society. Mm. He's like taking advantage of his his status and he, the, like the laws don't apply to him. And yeah, he, like, he can... He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, you can. Yeah, he has like, control over everybody. I, yeah. I was reading some critiques yeah. of this film um, prior to our recording here, and one of the critiques from historians, or a, a few, but one of them was that this, it, it doesn't really connect the you know 1984-esque police state here to like an ideology, yeah. it, because what's happening is really like it, they're they're not investigating Dryman because he might have some and might have done something to oppose the state. They're investigating him because the boss's boss wants to get laid, right? And he's the and that that's all it is. It's like this very purient reason. Yeah. But I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. I think that, that's what the movie's about. Yeah, I felt the same way when yeah. I was watching it. It was like, yeah, it's just you know, and we're just now sort of like dealing with this in, in like this political moment. Yeah. Um where yeah, the ability to like can like what this guy is doing is like very much reflected in like the Me Too movement, sure. even. So, yeah, I and mean, I think going back to like the Russian history moment, like when Russians like overthrew the government at the time, or like when the government collapsed, they 
it's not that they were like trying to get away from communism. They just want to get away from like this particular government. Yeah. And actually, in like the mid to late nineties, the Russians like almost voted communism like back into power. Mm-hmm. But that was like the Clinton State Department at the time. Like, did some hijinks and uh, about that? <laughs> um, you know, got capitalism to continue in Russia. And, right. Well, and you'll still uh, you'll still see mm-hmm. polls coming out of Russia today. That say that they want to go back to a communist state. Yeah, the quality and, of life was like much higher. Right, right. and, and <laughs> maybe maybe that's because the quality of life is higher. Maybe yeah. it's because they were a major world power at that point. They really want to go back to that. Yeah. So it's hard to say how much that is reflecting nationalism, how much it's reflecting a natural desire for a communist yeah. state. But nonetheless, the numbers are there. Yeah, uh, but like what they're trying to say is like this particular government is bad. Right. We want to get like get rid of them, get rid of Gorbachev, and of course they do. Yeah. And, and like the movie again highlights that. Like one of the last things we see before like the major act break where the wall comes down is a newspaper headline: Gorbachev is elected in Russia as the yeah. head of the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and the guy, the the main bad guy in the film, is meant to look like Gorbachev. Yeah, too. He he's like a stand-in for. Gorbachev, right, essentially. Right, and, and he's like a mini Gorbachev. And the, and this, this, the film isn't really about saying how much better capitalism is either, because Weisler's punishment for a, abandoning his post as a Satsi officer is to work in the mailroom for four years until the wall comes down. He goes over to West Germany, and he's still a mailman. Yeah, right? like at the end of the movie, he's still just delivering mail. His life isn't any; it is not substantially different mm-hmm. under in West Germany either. Right, so the, the the film isn't, I think, specifically critical of the notion of socialism and the notion of communism. It's critical of the GDR and correctly critical of the Stasi state, right? But I think that that is a leads to a more a broader critique of totalitarian bureaucracies rather than a critique of Marxist-Leninist thought. Yeah, I mean, we know that like the capitalist side of Germany was also very corrupt. Like they supported the South African yeah. apartheid, and, and still yeah. Is. So this yeah. going back to this film, though, <laughs> this film doesn't. I, I think it would be easy to misread this film as being specifically about communism, yeah. Rather than like this like moment in German socialists, like they're as Germany as like a colony of. A corrupt Soviet state, right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that that is an important and kind of subtle distinction that the, that the film makes, yeah. but it is there. And like like many movies about <clears throat> communism or texts that people interpret to be about communism, would be easy to misinterpret it right. that way, right? And and there's so. incentive to it, right? Yeah. Like the, there's there's a reason that that Western critics and the and Western academia would want to say that this is about specifically communism rather than. Well, being said, 1984 is important right. here, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no shit. They could have yeah. said this. This is not a true story. They could have said it anywhere. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the other historical critiques I read, that like the Weissler character is kind of an impossibility in the Stasi system. Like, There's nobody that would have that kind of free reign over an individual investigation. Like That, they, that mm-hmm. officers tend to be highly specialized, so it's like there's a guy that does the, the interrogations, period. Like, there's a guy that would set up the microphones and that's all he did. There would be a guy that would, like, listen in and t- write reports and that's all he did. Yeah. All right, you wouldn't have someone that does, like, all the stuff. Like, You'd think like they'd be more here. careful about the guy who's, like, writing down the transcripts. Right. From what they hear, because that person has a lot of power in this investigation, right? Like, yeah. That's one of the first things I noted when they were <laughs> first setting up the investigation and Weissler hadn't turned yet. Yeah. Is he's, like... He's the only one who writes down what he hears, and so theoretically he could make up anything, right? Which is what so, happens. Right. And yeah. like, but the movie went the opposite way, which yeah. I thought was interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. I thought 
the way they were setting up was he could like kind of fabricate evidence. Oh, okay. Um, I like, thought the against, same exact thing. Right. It, it seemed yeah. to imply that he could do that uh, against uh, Dryman if if he suspected or, Dryman. I, I thought one of the twists would be that they would listen to the tapes and see the difference between like the transcript and the tape. They could do that. Yeah. And, that's not where it went, but okay. I'd assume that's where it was going. Right. Okay, but I so thought it was funny that they set up that he had so much power and then used it in Dryman's favor instead later when he, you know, basically covers for them. Right. And covers it all up. Okay, so when was the moment when you, when you noticed him, when you realized that he wasn't going to be doing that? Going to be doing... When he wasn't going to, when he was, when he was going to be covering for Dryman or not. Um, fabricating evidence or anything. I mean, I don't remember the exact moment. Okay. Um, I mean, there were some very obvious things that he started to do over the course of the movie. I think uh, the first thing might have been when he rang the doorbell. Okay. Uh, and you could tell that he um, had Dryman's interests in mind over that of the state. Okay. Yeah, or he's at least willing to deviate from the script yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and then uh, I think that was the first incident. But beyond that, there were incidents where he was obviously writing the wrong thing. Right. Yeah. Then it becomes very clear. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to, to me, like the the most the emotional turning point in this movie is when he finds out that his friend committed suicide and he starts playing that song. And you have that, like, he plays the song and the Weiser character is crying at some point. And then I think it's that scene where uh, Dryman and Krista are in bed together, and you have this uh, smash cut of back to Weisler and he is sleeping and curled like in a fetal position in mm -hmm. his chair and like perfectly mirrors where Dryman was or yeah. not where Krista was prior to that mm -hmm. right and he, I like, didn't that. he's like exactly taking his place it's like, it's like okay so these guys are paired together now like they, they are the two of them and um, I think of that like that kind of cinematic storytelling that kind of visual storytelling um, really drove that home for me I did find that scene very powerful because <clears throat> Um, throughout this whole movie, Weisler's character is very robotic, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so you see him as like robotically following the rules of the state and like doing his job and all that. So you don't think he's going to deviate from that because, you know, you've seen that kind of persona in movies before. They're just like very doggedly loyal and all mm -hmm. that, right? Um, so it was very powerful to see his cold front like break yeah. uh, in that scene. You can see that there's emotion behind his face. Um, and it makes it more convincing that he would eventually turn and help Drymon. Yeah, I mean, like, like Sebastian Koch, I think is like the most obviously charismatic performance, and like he that screams movie star in, yeah. in a good way. But the Ulrich Moore performance here is very subtle and like yeah. very good. And like there are multiple moments in this movie where you see a lot of emotion and like very small facial movements and very small just decisions that he, he's making, like when he is interrogating Krista and he turns and like you can see a lot play across his face right there while he's like trying to keep it together because he knows that she recognizes him and he knows that he doesn't really want her to confess but maybe he kind of does and like there's a lot of complexity yeah. to this performance. That yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, Because um, that guy, the actor, passed away just about a year after this movie oh, man. released. He had stomach cancer and just kind of out of nowhere he was young. He was in his 50s. Oof. And so like I think this is his last movie or like one of his last movies. And it feels like a loss because a profound loss because he was great here. It was really, really good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like him a lot. Uh, how, how do we feel about um, the, the Krista character? 
One thing I thought was really funny was how bad of an actor she was, <laughs> like the character. Right. I, I don't know if it's part of the performance or what, but it felt like every time they asked her uh, for some incriminating information, she would immediately have like the worst <laughs> poker face possible and basically give it up like, the instant she was asked. And it was kind of, I don't know, pathetic, I guess. Yeah. Like I, like, I remember they had the moment where they let her go back home after she gave up where the typewriter was and like the yeah. incriminating evidence. And they're like, you're an actor, you'll be able to fake it. <laughs> she had already screwed up multiple times, so right. I like couldn't help but chuckle at that line. It's like, no, she can't. <laughs> like, that isn't gonna work. And she didn't. And she didn't, yeah, she, <laughs> he knew immediately. Um, so yeah, there there is that. I also did not expect her to literally get mean girls at the end there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was intentional. Like, he was committing suicide. Well, yeah, but I, yeah. I like, I still didn't expect that to happen <laughs> right. in almost the exact same way as it happened in Mean Girls. No, yeah. it reminded me of um, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, where like, yeah. the, the situation was misread uh, in a couple of different ways, and that led to the Wait, which one? her death. The woman on the wagon train. Oh, in the that wagon story. Train. Yes. Yeah. Like the yes. end is like very similar in that they're like all these like misread signals like lead to this like very tra tragic. She'd gotten away with it moment. at the end there, right? She didn't need to. Feel bad about yeah, she happened. hadn't actually betrayed yeah. Georg. Well, I mean, or she, she, she did, but, had, but it didn't mean anything. Yeah. yeah, he got away with it. And he believed that she had done it, that, 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 that she had not betrayed him. Right. Right, like, so she could have had it all. Like, she could have just walked away at that point. Yeah. And, yeah, so it, it to, like, the movie, I think, plays it as clearly as a tragedy. Like, that, yeah. is, that is the high tragic moment here. Um, and I, I, I've always found it a fact that like how that really worked. It's like this Romeo and Juliet moment at the end of the movie, um, and, it, and it, it landed for me. Yeah. Um, what do we think of like the very end? Like Georg does his research to figure out what's going on. He writes his book, and then uh, Weisler ends up buying a copy. Like did that? Like that's kind of the schmaltziest moment of the movie. But how did it work? Yeah, that was subtle. Like almost kind of cutesy, but yeah, like, it was it was nice. It was rather than like. I, I like it more than them, like, reconciling. Right, because you think yeah. they're going to meet. Right. Yeah. They almost did. They, that, was, that was a real fake out. It, it was. So was. Close. And I, I kind of like that they didn't. I like that it, it's... Like, what, what would that scene even look like, I guess? I don't even know. Yeah. Um, but I, I always found the last line a little bit too on the nose, I think. What was the last line? When he, he buys the... He, he finds um, Dryman's book, yeah. right? And he looks at the front... Oh, he's like, it's, the dedication, uh, yeah. and it says, like, for, you know, Weissler's number yeah. in gratitude, and he, he goes to buy it, and the clerk says, oh, do you, oh, yeah. <laughs> is it, do you want a gift wrap? And he says, no, it's, for, it's me. for me. And it's like, okay, yeah, it is. <laughs> and then it cuts to credits. Yeah. Um, and, like, I thought I, that was cute. It is cute. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, that, I, I, I've always found that maybe a little too cute, um, but I, it's not a, a big enough problem for me, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think I found that end sequence to be pretty emotionally satisfying yeah, good. after okay. the events of the movie. It felt like a good resolution without having them actually meet, and maybe having them meet would be a little too much, Yeah. I, so this was a nice way to do it. Yeah, I like that choice. Like Because like, they spent the whole movie like kind of helping each other without interacting, right? So this is yeah. a good way to continue that. Mm -hmm. Right, because again, I don't know what that scene would look like. Yeah. Right? Like I think there are scenes that like audiences will say they want, but then like... When you actually try to make it, it's yeah. like, what is this? Like, what are what's audiences that? don't actually know what they want. Audiences, don't, yeah, you got to give them what they need. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was good. I also thought it was interesting that they didn't like punish the like boss character yes. whatsoever. Like yeah, he's, he's still basically just, in the like, same position. Yeah, and really, basically everybody's in the same position. 
right? Like they kind of yeah. end the movie in the same place that they started it, right? Like Weissler's working a menial job. Georg is a successful playwright at a performance of one of his old plays that sold out. The boss uh, is just some the boss is capitalist just, now. Yeah, now he's yeah. a capitalist, right? Yeah. Like not that much has changed for them, right? Like we know who's the good guy and the bad guy now, but other than that, like their material conditions are pretty similar, which is again, I think, divorces this movie from a critique of communism and more towards a critique of totalitarianism. Well, and the one that like paid for everything is the the girlfriend, right? Right. Like she's paid the ultimate price for like mm-hmm. the yeah. She's yeah, she, she was punished for like what the boss everybody's yeah. problems. Like she's the one that suffers for everything everybody else does. Yeah, incorrectly. Through again, not really any fault of her own, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, sure, she flipped on him, but she was like, coerced right? yeah. like, and like I, maybe torture. I'm unfair to her to point out her bad poker face first but she did have some very effective moments like after she returns after being violated by the boss right. guy uh, and probably raped actually uh, when she goes back and like takes the shower on her own yeah a very powerful scene that one works well and the scene like after she has her conversation with Weissler in that bar where he orders two double vodkas, I guess. So like, yeah, go go get it, Weissler. Yeah, um, Oof, that was but, a brutal drink. Yeah, no shit. Uh, but then she like that sequence where they go back and you have like the script from the report running over the actual scene of what was playing and like the contrast between like the sterility of the report and like the the heated passion of their reunion. Again, very like melodramatic kind of stuff, but effective. Like that that worked for me, and she was good in that moment, um, and in the moment leading up to it. So I, I, I like the performance here. I think it worked. Like, I, I, the actors. Yeah. This movie makes typewriters seem real cool. <laughs> typewriters are real cool. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Hanks told yeah. me. That, like, little travel typewriter that is, like, the... The red one. Yeah. Or the red ink, rather. It looks, I love it's the, very, like, sleek. And, the, the typewriter nerd yeah. who makes, like, a brief appearance. I thought that was a really funny <laughs> yes, scene. I forgot about that he guy. He knows, like, yeah. every, like, typewriter and font that every artist in East Germany uses, apparently. <laughs> right, and, like, the differences between them and the characteristics of each and all this. Yeah. Yeah, that... that I, I a, admire that guy. That was a good character. I respect that. Yeah. I also... I, I mean, maybe it's for the plot of the movie, but, like, it just seemed like... Why were they doing this? Like, if they just want to like disappear this guy, just like, just like get him, like right? Like, the, does the state? Yeah, does so it I, matter in the system? Yeah, like, I, like, I thought about that too. Like, how yeah. much evidence do you actually need if you're just like grabbing people off? The yeah, why not just like you know put a bag over his head and disappear him? Like, right. I know? I don't know, but one of, I remember reading at some point, and this might be a little attenuated, but nonetheless, that like when Nazi Germany was arising one of the major distinctions that it was drawing from prior totalitarian regimes or from communism later was their complete abdication of any kind of even semblance of a real legal system, right? Where like they would just do things and, and that was it. And like there would be Nazi judges who are used to the rule of law that would be like, we don't necessarily have a problem with you know gassing Jewish people, but we should put it in a statute, right? Or like find a, a legal justification for it. Whereas in totalitarian Stalinist Russia, they would do that. Like they would have actual courts and then they would, they would find some sort of uh, silly legal justification for the thing that they're doing. And I wonder if that kind of ideology is at play here. Yeah. Um, I, the, I, again, I don't know because this idea occurred to me as well. Um, but I remember reading about that at some point. Well, yeah, I, mean, I recently saw a death of Stalin. And, sure. and they seem to be like towards the end. They're just like running around, just like 
snatching. Loading people in trucks and like right. it seemed like totally random at like who was being Although, arrested. I'm sure that, that movie's yeah. a little cartoonish, isn't it? I I think so, but like the general like beats of that movie are true. Like the way he dies, like the fact that like people kneel in his urine, <laughs> like, <laughs> like the little power struggle that like occurs yeah. afterwards, like that's all true. Okay. Yeah. Like the, yeah, some of the other stuff is a little cartoonish, but as far as I know, it's like it like seemed actually well researched. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. But again, yeah. I don't actually know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I because yeah, I thought of that same critique, and I'm not. I wasn't exactly sure what to do with it, but it's another one of those things where. The answer is that if they did it the other way, there'd be no movie, right? Like that's, yeah, that's yeah. the answer. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it just wouldn't function as a film. Yeah. Um, so I, one of the concepts I was watching for on this viewing was like how this movie dealt with the nature of observation and the nature of like just watching people because that's really the bulk of what's going on here. When I noticed that they were, especially towards the beginning of the movie, reading and referencing Brecht a lot, right? There was a lot of Bertolt Brecht in this. Film and like Brecht's major, who was a German playwright, he wrote Three Penny Opera most famously. And his major theoretical contribution to critical theory and film and, and literary theory is this idea of like the an, an active audience and like alienating the audience such that they're aware of their act of observing, right? Like they're aware that they're watching a play because he was a playwright, but he also made a couple movies. Mm-hmm. And like drawing audience awareness to that. And I think this movie kind of does, does some of that because you're constantly aware, especially at the beginning of the movie when they're actually talking about Brecht and first setting up the surveillance apparatus, that Georg is being observed, right? And your awareness of him being observed within the fiction, I think, emphasizes, at least for me, your own awareness of watching him and like peering into his life and intruding into his life. And I think that's intentional here. I think that we're meant to be aware of that, especially in the early parts of the film, that so much of how the totalitarian bureaucracy functions is by way of just being so aware of everything and like just taking in so much information and that the act of film watching is similar to that. Right, and I think that the references, like they could have picked any German writer, right? And I think the references to Brecht are calling to mind that idea. And the government seemed really suspicious of Brecht well, yeah, he was. I mean, he was a socialist. Like he, he was a he was a far leftist, but he was not friendly to uh, the GDR. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's for sure. He was an actual leftist. Well, I just remember them being like, "Oh, he's reading Brecht. Like, you know, put it like write that down." Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the, they were suspicious of him, and there's a reason for that. Well, and they kind of have like an anti-Brechtian moment in the film, where mm-hmm. like they try to get caught. Like, yeah. Like yeah. They, they try to show the mechanics of them being observed right and and then it like doesn't happen even though they are being observed right right yeah which was a good moment like that like in terms of just this film functioning as a thriller which it is a lot of the time like that was one of the turn into a spy movie for one of the, yeah one of the better like thriller moments in this movie um that that worked really well and it's when we see vice are like actually surprised by something it's like wait that yeah. paul is in east germany paul is in his apartment he's not in the west like that yeah that did work well one of the Speaking of thriller, one of the descriptions, uh, I think on the Amazon, was that it was like an erotic thriller. <laughs> and I was like... I, That's I, like one very masked... Does it, yeah, yeah, this is very like not erotic. This is yeah. not erotic. Well, there's a bit of nudity, so... <laughs> right. It's barely. erotic now. <laughs> barely. Yeah. He hires a prostitute, and you get like a little bit of the sex scene with Krista and Georg. 
And like that's basically it. And like a yeah, sexual there's assault like, yeah, scene. there's a pretty yeah. like disturbing sexual assault. Right. If the, you find that erotic, that's a problem for you. <laughs> yeah, buddy. yeah exactly. <laughs> like you should not find that erotic. Let's describe it that way. It's like mm, yeah, what's your point about this? I this think it's not like uh, yeah. I, I blame Bezos. Dude's a creep. <laughs> well, it's made in Europe, so it's yeah. gotta be erotic. It's gotta be erotic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's that's true. Like a lot of friend or European films are pitched as like being. Looser, more free yeah. sex. Yeah, very know, sexualized. All of those yeah. tropes. Yeah. This doesn't feel that way at all. No. Like, yeah. To me, this feels like some... Like, this easily could have been made in Hollywood. Right? This feels a lot like a Hollywood prestige movie to me. And it just in terms of how it's paced, and, like, they, they cast a giant star in it because Sebastian Koch is a big star in Germany and, like, becoming a bigger star here. Right? Like, it's about... It's a period piece about, like, a fraught time. You know, it, it kind of... It doesn't really indict any of the characters. It's, like, a feel-good kind of period piece yeah um so it kind of falls in like the sebastian or the um schindler's list category in that respect and like this one feels like it could have been straight out of uh out of ballet it's it's a prestige film for sure right it would be your oscar bait yeah it's it's prestige in an american style yeah that's right and i think that that's probably why it was popular here and why it did win the oscar like it won um, yeah. And I still like it, but I think that this is clearly drawing on American influences, just yeah. in terms of its formal construction. Probably a big reason why I didn't have any trouble getting into it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's fine. Like, I think it's good to have foreign films like that. We need gateways. Like, we need people to like get comfortable with seeing actors they're not necessarily familiar with, speaking a language they don't understand, reading subtitles. Right? Like, if that's what it takes to get people to watch stuff that's maybe a little bit more traditionally European or whatever, mm-hmm. great. Right? Let's have those movies out yeah. there. My subtitles were not formatted very well. No. So, like, I had, like, you would be the person, their line, <clears throat> mm-hmm. but then it would also say, like, woman two speaking oh. over that. So it was, like, subtitles and subtitles were, Wait, like... Wait, were you on Voodoo? No, I was on Amazon. I was on Prime. Oh, okay. I was on Prime, yeah. too. I did not have that problem. Yeah, mine were not formatted well. That's okay. weird. Because on Voodoo, they, the movie has built-in <clears throat> subtitles, just, like as part of the screen in the film. Yeah. Oh, no. So initially I had the closed captions on, and so it was like double captioning, and I had to turn those off. Yeah, whenever there was like a voice off screen, it would say like who was speaking. Okay. Oh, interesting. I, th- I think it just didn't translate that in the version that I yeah. watched. Hmm. We That's... figure it might be for like the hearing impaired people watching, right? Maybe. So they need to know who's talking. They can't actually hear the voice. Yeah, like during the play comes to mind when they're like watching the play, but you're like seeing the characters that we're following and not the play. And it would say, like, woman one. So, okay. and, but then it would, like, compound with the other text okay. on yeah, screen. You're probably right then, Carl. Yeah. That is for the hearing impaired. And I was watching just the, you know, German impaired version <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, any, uh, any closing thoughts on, on Lives of Others? Uh, there's, there's also a theme, and I don't know if I've explored it fully, but there's a theme of, like, the power of art. Oh, yeah, in this definitely. movie and how yeah. it allows you to like connect with other people because that's ultimately <clears throat> what like shows uh, Wiesler what um, like the good path is mm-hmm. right you say he doesn't deviate from his like desire to pursue the good but he needs to be shown what the proper good path is right and he's first shown that through um, the combination of um, Dryman the- losing his friend um, but also through the beautiful song that he plays, and that's when Wiesler so not for a first good man, <laughs> right, right, yeah. and that's the first time that Wiesler kind of breaks and shows emotion and feels empathy for these people, right, and that's like kind of a necessary step to not treating them this way, 
Yeah, it, it, like more than that even. Like not only is art necessary to convert like the individual, like it's art that like brings down the state. Right, yeah. like th that's that's the only concrete thing that moves. The, it's it's writing that is the ultimate subversive act, right? It is music yeah. that turns the sky. I mean, that's why they they clamp yeah. down on like typewriter typefaces so yeah. much because they have to clamp down on who's writing what very closely, right? Right, which again kind of divorces this from ideology, right? Like, yeah. it is not. It, he he doesn't turn ideo ideologically; he turns emotionally and artistically. Yeah, and I think that is worth noting, right? Like, I think yeah. that's important. It's mm -hmm. like it. That moment again, which we've returned to several times, where he's playing the piano, it's almost like an inverse of the Nietzsche quote, where he talks about like if you stare into the abyss long enough, the abyss stares back. It's like, well, maybe if you stare at like good, beautiful things long enough, <laughs> like, you become good and beautiful, right? Like you yeah. become better when you consume good things and are around good people. And like, yes, I think the value and importance of art is yeah, very central to what this movie's about. And I think the the conflict between like beauty and art versus like a totalitarian, totalitarian government or the suppression of emotion comes up a lot. Sure. Like the first thing that comes to mind is equilibrium, which that's like the central like plot line where like people are suppressed from experiencing emotion and that's how the government maintains control of people, right? But then Christian Bale's character experiences art for the first time and starts to like break out of that system. No, I've not seen the movie. It's like an action version of Fahrenheit 451. Okay, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the Matrix plus Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Or for Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. yeah. I haven't read that, but it's yeah. another. Yeah. Or, or like the Giver makes a similar move, right? Where they like literally remove color from the world, and then like someone sees an apple. It's actually yeah. Right. I'm like that. It's the turning point. Um, so yeah, you're right. Like that theme comes up a lot. Like even you can go back to 1984, right? Like what what is the thing there? It's like that they they remove the ability to feel love for each other. Yeah. Right. Like that's the ultimate. You know, totalitarian move. Um, so yeah, you are you are correct. I think that is well noted. I thought it was funny that the like the sign that we were in like post post GDR state was that there was just graffiti on all the buildings. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like suddenly there's just like the rule of law is like broken down essentially and yeah, broken windows the system. Yeah, right. now everything's just like covered in crappy graffiti. <laughs> right. Which I thought that was funny. I mean, I don't know how true that is. It, it wouldn't surprise me if like the crummy parts of modern Berlin, or at least Berlin in the 90s, was also the part that used to be East Berlin. I would guess that it would be pretty hard to get spray paint in like, the Soviet then. colony. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right then. But I like mean, behind like, the wall, yeah. After the wall comes down, like, is that the poor part of Berlin now? I don't know. It would stand to reason, I think. There's a pretty distinct difference between the east and west right. parts of Berlin. Yeah, one's lit better. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that certainly makes a difference more obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah and the and now Berlin's like one of the nicest cities in the world. So, well, yeah, good. <laughs> right down that yeah. wall. Uh, any last thoughts, Grossman? Uh, no, I like I like this film. I, I think it's it's good. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I think it's almost like too too clever for like I don't think it would be made in the States like I think it's really like, I think it's like too clever okay maybe that. I have more faith in American audiences yeah. than you do this, to no, me, I, I don't, clever I'm not way. speaking to like the audience but like the the sort of switch that like happens at the end I think is like clever and better than most oh, okay. American films yeah I, okay well, I have more faith in both American audiences and American filmmakers yeah. apparently <laughs> uh, to me this feels like an American an American German movie um, and I don't even mean that as a critique, just as like a description of how the movie feels to me. Um, I, I do want to mention that we haven't mentioned the director's name because it's really long and difficult to pronounce. Um, Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. 
Oh. Um, as, uh, as a movie currently screening that is three hours long uh-huh. um, called Never Look Away uh, that I think was nom- again nominated for a best um, foreign film Oscar, maybe. Um, but I plan to see it once I have a spare, you know, three plus hours to, to go to that. Um, but this guy's still making movies. So that's that a good thing as far as I'm concerned. But I like this movie a lot. I've seen it several times now. I plan to watch it again. And it, to me, it's an easy recommend. So go watch Lives of Others. And we will be back in a moment with Things We've Seen. And we're back with Things We've Seen. Uh, during this segment, we discuss movies, often more recent movies that we have seen on our own outside of the podcast. And Charles is going to go first this week. So, Charles, what have you seen? Uh, This time I saw Lego Movie, the second part. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet. How was it? Uh, I quite enjoyed it. So I would say that um, it doesn't live up to the first one quite as much, but it's kind of what you expect. But out of the recent animated movie sequels, I think it does a much better job at capturing the spirit of the first one and getting close to it in quality level than, say, The Incredibles 2 or Wreck-It Ralph 2. Okay. Because um, it very much stays true to its original formula. It keeps up that uh, sort of structure where the Legos are actually, like, you know, being played, the, the imagination of children playing with them and the kind of reflections of their own interactions with their family uh, and their life. And I think that's a very effective structure because it's a great way to like contextualize the story for kids learning or finding their place um, in their daily lives right so like in the first one it was about their interaction with their parents mm-hmm. uh, and their parents and their father's like desire for control and preventing them from like freely imagining right and in this one uh, <clears throat> it's more about his interaction with the main character's interaction with his sister and how you kind of deal with that kind of sibling rivalry um, and I think, think that's a very, um, like, relevant um, story to tell that's relevant to the audience, right? Um, the movie's still very funny. Uh, at points, I thought that maybe the jokes were coming a little too fast. Like, <laughs> it was almost getting in the way of what was happening because mm-hmm. everything is so rapid fire. It's, like, very fast-paced. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty funny. The animation style is still fantastic. It... it might look the same as the original. I'm not sure if they've like That's enhanced fine. the quality or whatever, yeah. but like it's it a fantastic. Seem like something that needed to be improved on. Right. Yeah. I don't know how much they could improve on it. Uh, the animation style is fantastic. Um, I think I might have expressed it before. I love, you know, how everything looks like actual real Legos yeah. that are animated in stop motion. So you see little details like some blocks that are slightly broken or fingerprints on blocks and things like that. Um, so the animation style is still fantastic, um, and uh, yeah, they, they kept largely the same cast, right? Mostly the same cast, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's basically the same people from the first one. Okay, that's good. Um, it's a great cast, so that's a good thing. And they they have like smaller characters that kind of reference, like Lego Batman and yeah, yeah, some of the other um, in the series. I right? think Will Arnett played Lego Batman and yes. Lego Batman, right? Yeah, correct. But it's still him. Yeah, uh, they have random. Uh, voice actors for like members of the Justice League and stuff like that. Although I think they got Jason Momoa to play Aquaman. For That's pretty his good. Tiny cameo. <laughs> but uh, they had different actors for Superman and Green Lantern and people like that. So it was like a little funny. Or like Wonder Woman is in there. Okay. Um, but she's not voiced by Gal Gadot. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, movie's a lot of fun. Uh, I still recommend that you see it. I think it's a lot better at being a sequel than the other two that I mentioned. Okay. Good. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, Will Arnett's kind of carving out this 
really excellent career as a voice actor, right? Like he's a funny guy, and like he is, he was in you know Arrested Development and everything. But yeah. like, oh yeah, he's in BoJack Horseman. Too, he's, right? He is BoJack yeah. Horseman. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. and his performance as BoJack Horseman is fucking extraordinary. Yeah, and his performance as Batman in Lego Movie and the Batman Lego Movie is great. Like both from a comedy perspective and just like. A, Conventional acting perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and he, does, he still he still gets a significant role in this one too. So right. he's not just like a cameo. He does good. commercials too. Like I, he does voiceover for commercials. I believe it. Yeah. He has a good voice for it. <laughs> so yeah. this it didn't do very well at the box office though. Like um, I, like it it was first, but like it it was like half of what they were expecting. Okay. Well, that's a bummer. I didn't expect yeah. that. Um, some people mentioned that the marketing seemed to trail off a bit yes. towards the release of the movie. I. Did not realize that it was coming out over the past weekend um, yeah, for like a long time. Yeah, neither did I. And like, we are both people that really liked the first one and would pay attention to this movie. Yeah. And if we weren't aware of it, people that like are interested affirmatively in watching it again. Yeah, that was strange. Like, yeah. I was very aware that the Lego Movie 2 was coming because there were tons of trailers. Yeah, tons of I just didn't know the release date. Right. So yeah. So that's that, not a good thing. That is a problem. Yeah, I guess the first one like didn't have competition like when it came out or mm -hmm. something it was something about that weekend that it, like it came out mm -hmm. and just like dominated in a way that was actually unexpected well, was there competition this time i don't remember yeah, any like, other movies being out that i mean this is the doldrum right? it's february yeah um <laughs> what men want came out <laughs> this weekend and uh alita battle angel which tanked so. oh that is out okay. wait that that's yeah. supposed to be released tomorrow i thought that was this February oh, i thought that came out last weekend yeah. oh it's definitely going to tank <laughs> oh yeah yeah that one i, I know is going to tank but i'm pretty sure it didn't come out last weekend it is not competing I, I, really i thought movie. i had saw it okay but who knows yeah i don't i don't know it's kind of like a tough moment for movies in general it seems like I mean, the February like this pre-Oscar period is often a dumping ground right yeah like that's just historically true um, so well, that's a bummer but I'm glad the movie was good I'm gonna watch it yeah, yeah. I still recommend it um, don't expect to live up to the first one but you'll still have a great time yeah the first one's like an all-time great animated movie so like that's fine Some, <laughs> sometimes I find these movies like a little too frenetic yeah like they're it almost got to that point it was super like, fast-paced even like a Batman, which I enjoyed, was like joke, 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 joke. Like yeah. they like, there's no like down moment in like yeah, well, a Batman. And, and, and they're very, they're so active visually. Yeah. Right? Like there's so much happening on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this movie was definitely overwhelming at parts, especially at the beginning. I don't yeah. know if you saw Lego Ninjago, but it was like, whoa. It's like <laughs> that one's like even more. Like they incorporate like a lot more digital effects. Okay, I have not seen that one. It, it's like, whoa. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's my sense of them, and it, it's yeah. right on the edge for me. Like the Lego Movie was almost too much, um, and the, they do pull it back towards the middle portion, like when they actually settle into yeah. these characters, um, and like that's fine, I guess. But yeah, yeah, I just wish they would let like some things breathe a little. I like, get that. You can get more humor out of like less. Yeah, and that's yeah. something that Kubo did really well, right? Yeah. Like also a very active movie visually. Well, Leica's movies are always like very thoughtful and like yeah. kind of like uh, meditations on whatever it is that they're dealing with. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like even, like I think their funniest movie is like the box trolls. And mm -hmm. even there it's like the, the jokes are like well set up and like right. they it's like, yeah, like no punchline yeah and, they, <laughs> yeah and they they make sense like within the plot right whereas right. like lego movies like all these like meta commentaries and like it's goofy references yeah. to like yeah. dc universe and, a lot like, of one-line jokes mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah um i saw a drastically different movie on <laughs> a plane <laughs> um so i did a little catching up on a 2018 movie that i missed uh, the wife 
Um, so this is the movie that Glenn Close got uh, Best uh, Actor nomination for. Um, she's opposite Jonathan Price, who we'll remember from uh, Brazil and mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. He's the Sparrow. I think she might have won a Golden Globe, too, for I think you're right actress. about that. I yeah. think she won. Yeah. And she is really good in this. Um, so the premise of the film is uh, Jonathan Price is a writer. Glenn Close is his wife. Um, he wins the Nobel Prize, right? And it takes place over the course of the Nobel Prize weekend, right, for, for literature. Um, and he's, he's very proud of this. Um, there is a, <laughs> there is a twist or something like a twist that's revealed about halfway through. Are either of you going to watch this movie? I'm gonna. There's, I'm gonna. I've never even heard of this movie. Low chance. Okay, I only heard of it because Gun Close like won. Okay, the so the uh, and it's a warning that I'm going to reveal the thing, the very telegraph twist in the wife. <laughs> um, okay. So it turns out that Glenn Close is the actual writer. She had been ghostwriting for Jonathan Price. Oh, okay. Um, for uh, his entire career, and it really should be her. Nobel Prize that came up in the, like the movie takes place in the early 90s so they came up in school they met in school in the 50s like she didn't have any shot uh, in the, the publishing world he wasn't really much of a writer so they published her stories under his name and to maintain the same voice she just did that for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. right so we got a bit of a Colette story right and so that, that's what I noted about this movie is that we have seen now three movies about women either ghostwriting for a man or like fabricating the story with the um, Melissa McCarthy movie, how can you ever forget? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is interesting, and I don't, I don't really know what to do with that fact that we have now like have multiple movies released within a few months of each other, all like dealing with this idea of a woman, like work being taken by a man and presented yeah. as own, right? Like just outright plagiarism. Um, but it is something that is happening now, and I don't know if that's a, a pro, uh, like a reaction to. A, a Me Too style movement, or the fact that so many Oscars are still going to men, and people are starting to be worried about this, and like women aren't being credited for work that they're doing within the film industry. Yeah. Um, but it is something that's happening with Colette and the wife now, and the Melissa, the Melissa McCartney movie, which I haven't actually seen yet. Um, Glenn Close was phenomenal in this. Like she is totally justified in winning that Golden Globe. She's mm-hmm. unsurprisingly very good. Jonathan Price is also very good, but the movie's mostly about her. Um, you you see every single emotion on her face, and you see all of the complexity that the fact that her watching this this man win an award at the tip top of the field that belongs to her would you see every effect that that would have on a person. Um, we also have a, a fun performance from Kristen Slater in this movie, <laughs> what <laughs> as the guy digging this story up and like trying that 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 suspects that the Jonathan Price character is a liar. Um, and he plays like the annoying Weasley guy just right, like he kind of nails it. Um, so that's like what he plays in every right. That like, he does, he does the Christmas Slater thing. Yeah, um, and, <laughs> and it works really well here. Um, so he was he was well cast as well. Yeah, um, it, it feels like you know an independent awards baby movie, and it is that. Um, but I, I enjoyed it, and, and I'm glad I saw it. It was strange to watch it on a plane, but I, I'm I'm glad that I saw the wife. It is still very worthwhile to see it, even though I ruined it for everybody just now because they they tell. <laughs> this twist pretty early on and like I wasn't surprised when that turned out to be what it is um, so still worth checking out it was a pretty quick 95 minutes or something so um, if you do see it streaming which I think it is now um, go check it out it's called the wife yeah. um, Crossman we are going to change our format we have some bookkeeping notes right yeah okay tell us about this uh, so I think we're gonna take about a month off yes and we're gonna come back with a new format uh, we I, th- I think we're I think we're still fleshing this out, but I, I think the general premise is that um, 
instead of choosing movies that we want to share with the group, we're going to choose movies that we personally haven't seen when we when we choose a movie. Right. Um, and the way that I likened it off air was like if you've ever been at like just in a conversation with somebody and they were like, "Have you ever seen this movie?" and instinctually you'd said yes but even though you like hadn't seen the movie to, to seem cool yeah to seem <laughs> yeah. cool or knowledgeable or right. like not like a dummy yeah uh, Culture. yeah 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 exactly um but yeah i think it's a moment for us to uh admit the movies that we haven't seen that are right. important to film history um that every Probably more surprising for you guys than for me yeah. We'll see. I, I'm, uh, I'll reflect on this because you introduced the idea right before this episode, and we yeah. all, Charles and I both liked it. Um, I'm sure that they'll, I'll think of some big ones. Yeah, yeah. Or I'll do my best. So we'll uh, we'll come back with a, a new name and a new format, and uh, yeah, look for it in about a month. Yeah. So we'll, yeah, we'll let you know more as we figure out more, but I think this will give us a good chance to kind of launch fresh because I think we we took a little break. A few episodes ago, four or five episodes ago, and I, I'm not sure that that transition worked as well as we had hoped, but I think that this is a more concrete idea, um, and I, I like where we're going with it, so I'm feeling I'm feeling optimistic. Yeah, yeah, we kind of bubbled into some, like, kind of amorphous rules after our first right, right. reshuffling, right? And I think the discussion was good, but we still want to be able to focus that discussion, so... Yeah, I, I think, think the change was, like, necessary, but yeah. we just need to, like, ground it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And so, yeah, you had a good idea. This is this is Crossman's idea, so give him full credit, audience. Um, yeah. But I think it's a good one, and we're going to run with it. Um, in the meantime, go listen to all our old episodes, because I'm sure no one has actually listened to all 106 yeah. of them, or whatever the hell we did. Um, it's all it's all fantastic content. And we'll be back in a month or so with uh, fresh new ideas. So thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you then.